Hey, this is Cash Wheeler with FTR, a.k.a. one half of the greatest tag team of all time, the current AAA tag team champions, saying go right now, savewithconrad.com, and I promise you, you won't regret it. This is, what, the, I think maybe the third one he's helped me buy now. I want to just keep investing in property, basically. I want to have a couple of income properties so I can have passive income for after wrestling because obviously there's a shelf life for what we do to our bodies. And so Conrad's been one of the, the main components for that for me. Uh, my schedule is not easy for anybody. Like I had to push this past closing date back a couple of days because we were going to be doing a show at Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York. They're like, yep, we can push it. We can close it on the 24th. Don't worry about it. Go to work. We'll see you on closing day. So they were good about coming back to me and circling back and reminding me or giving me a gentle nudge. So when closing day got there, there was no surprises. There was no, oh, we didn't have this. We forgot that. We still need you to get here for that. This is going to be something that I want to keep adding properties. Like, I'm in the process right now. I was talking to my realtor yesterday about a place I'm putting an offer on today. So if they accept that offer, I'm going right back to Conrad. That's how confident I am with working with these people. Like I'm going to keep buying and I'm going to keep going back. Hey guys, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Need to call a timeout real quick here. I wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my world listeners for a while now. It's about all the incredible things happening over on adfreeshows.com. We're joined by Wrestling Royalty as David Crockett takes us month by month through Jim Crockett Promotions booking logs. David and Conrad dive into the towns, matches, and money of JCP in January 1985 on The Book. Uh, Charlotte is really the home of Jim Crockett Promotions, is it not? It is. Yes. It's the home. The thing is, the Greensboro was always the home of Starcade, any yes. you know that the the bigger matches we would take to Greensboro. Main reason is over the whole area we had more population and road systems going to Greensboro than we did Charlotte. We look back on the Turner years with the men who lived them. For the first time ever, Jr. Eric and Tony sit down with a couple of drinks and share stories like you've never heard before on the Ad Free Show's exclusive. After hours. Well, in 1905, I had a regular size growing up refrigerator. I was a grown up man. <laughs> and I had a washer and dryer. Shazam! <laughs> and they were, they were moved from, by Turner from uh, Texas to Atlanta. They told me we're going to put them in storage while you stay at such and such hotel downtown. Chat one-on-one with the Podfather, an extension of the popular Ask Conrad mailbag series. Conrad talks live with ad-free shows members, answering their questions about wrestling, mortgages, and everything in between. I appreciate you saying that. I feel the same way. You know, I've I've met a lot of great people through here, and um, you know, we all have something in common, and, and that's our love of wrestling and our inability to just. Um, let it go you know we, we all have this insatiable thirst and quest for more and we want to learn more and be more involved and i think it's cool that we all really for lack of a better word share a passion like that and as a result man we can have a lot of fun together hey that's just a small taste of what ad free shows has waiting for you including a brand new perk getting to join in on the live recordings of the shows with four levels to choose from see for yourself why ad free shows is the 
best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adfreeshows.com. That's right. Sign up today at adfreeshows.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Connie. I'm good. Good to see you. Good to be back on the air today. We've got a good show coming up about one of my favorite guys, one of the top talents ever, Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man. And, uh, so we should have some fun with this thing. I'm so excited I'm glad about to, it. Glad to be here. I'm, I'm footballed out though. I gotta, I gotta take a time out. We're, we're taping this thing on Monday morning of MLK day. Yes. And, uh, so, uh, there's one more game to watch the Cowboys and the Buccaneers. Yes, sir. The Tom Brady's and the, or the, their quarterback's name is Dak Prescott. Yes. He's got to play better. Uh, and you ain't got to worry about Brady choking, but this Dak Prescott dude, he needs to have a good game. He hadn't had one in a while. So, uh, but I, uh, but I'm still, I'm still buzzing about the Jaguars win. My God, what a game. I don't know how you, you couldn't write a script any better than that. It was amazing. When it was over, was I tweeted out NFL should be Booker of the year because that okay. finish and just, I mean, really the entire, with the exception of the 49ers second half, the entire slate of games this weekend was incredible. And yeah. as much as I love pro wrestling, man, when football's that good, there's just damn near nothing better. Um, I agree. I loved it. And I hope you guys did too. And I'm going to love our, our topic today. Of course, we're gearing up for, I can't believe it. This is Royal rumble month. And, uh, as we're talking next weekend is Royal rumble. But, uh, before we get there, we're going to talk about somebody that a lot of our listeners, myself included, grew up with Ted DiBiase. And of course his most iconic character without question is the million dollar man character. And we're going to get there, but you actually knew. Teddy way back when, and he's our topic today, because, uh, as we're talking two days from now, as folks are listening to this yesterday, was Teddy's birthday, January 18th, 1954. Uh, so happy birthday to the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. And I guess we should remind everybody that he's sort of second generation in his own right. His adopted father, iron Mike DiBiase and his biological mother, Helen were both wrestlers. What a heritage to follow here. Did you ever get to see much iron Mike DiBiase? Just on, on, uh, film clips. Uh, he was, a uh, uh, what you would expect from a, uh, former amateur, a solid fundamentally sound ground attack guy, good psychology, hell of an athlete, but I never saw him in person, but I did see, I've seen him, uh, on, on clips. From time to time, he was really good, really good, very basic, very fundamentally sound. Uh, and then of course, Teddy's mom was a wrestler and that's where his dad or his adopted father and her met. So, uh, on a, at wrestling. So it goes way back as far as uh, Teddy's, uh, DNA is concerned. Of course, um, we should talk about the most notable thing, unfortunately, that most wrestling fans know about Iron Mike DiBiase, Ted's adopted father, is he sadly died during a match in Lubbock, Texas. It's a match against Man Mountain Mike. His father takes a bump out of the floor and collapses. And the story was that Harley Race tried to rush down to ringside and perform CPR, but is unable to revive him. 
it's pretty rare, thankfully, that we hear about folks passing away in the course of a wrestling match. Of course, sadly, it happened a few years ago in Mexico as well. Is this the first in ring death you remember hearing about in professional wrestling? I think it is. I think it is. I'm sure there probably is something else. Uh, there were others. I think, uh, Ray Gunkel, Ray Gunkel may have died in the ring. Great. For another former amateur that was uh, deeply involved in the Georgia promotion. He might be in that argument, but, uh, it was significant at that, at that time, nobody had ever encountered. I don't think, uh, this sadness too often. So it was, uh, but it was a, it was a headline, no doubt about that. And, and, uh, iron Mike was a territory guy. So he did get the national exposure that guys today are getting. Uh, it's funny how the business has been affected by the lack of territories. And, uh, it's really kind of unique in, in, a, in a lot of ways. So, uh, but yeah, he was, he was really good. He was really good. And, and, uh, you know, great role model for Teddy, I think, uh, and you know, I don't know how he could have done anything else, but wrestle, right. Teddy, you know, playing football at West Texas state, uh, on a scholarship there in Amarillo, that's where he got connected to the funks. And of course the funks had their t- Amarillo territory it was based there in Amarillo. And so Teddy was just a big mark for the business and was just trying to figure out how to get in it because he knew he wasn't going to get into the NFL based on his football skills. Uh, his size and things like that. You know, he was a good sized guy, but he was not big enough to play uh, in the offensive line in the NFL. Uh, but, but that's not what his goal was. Anyway, his goal was to get booked by the bunks and start his pro wrestling career. And that's kind of what we're talking about here today. He's, he had a, he had a destination. He had a journey to get on. And it, the key was just how is this journey going to work out for him? And obviously as we're going to discuss, it worked out very well. Yes, it did. I uh, just had context. Iron Mike passes away when, when Teddy is just 15 years old. And unfortunately, as the story goes, allegedly Teddy's mom starts to cope with the passing of her fallen husband with alcohol. And she passes away at just 58 years old, way, way too young. Yeah. God, yes. Um, as a result, Ted, as you said, does wind up at West Texas state. He's uh, going to be there on a football scholarship, but ultimately drops out because he gets injured in his senior year. And that's when he's going to start to pursue a career in pro wrestling. And if you're watching along with us on YouTube, you can see, uh, the old school photo of Ted DiBiase. It's uh, it's always fun to see wrestlers sort of before they were famous back when they were a civilian years before the million dollar man. There he is. Yep. Here's a quote from Terry Funk. Although he was offered a football scholarship at the university of Arizona, I steered him to West Texas state university. While I wanted to make sure he finished college and earned his degree. I also wanted Teddy and Canyon for selfish reasons so that I could watch him play football. What I didn't realize about Teddy was that he came to West Texas state to not only play football and get a degree, but also to pursue a career in professional wrestling. That's directly out of Terry Funk's book. As you see there, if you're watching along with us on YouTube and let's just take a minute and talk about that school, because as I understand it, the Funk brothers went there, Dusty Rhodes went there, Stan Hansen went there, Telly Blanchard went there, Tito Santana went there. 
I mean, this is a, a who's who, including Bruiser Brody and Manny Fernandez. And what was it about? Kelly Blanchard. What was it about West Texas state that just got all these wrestlers going here? I think it's more, more than anything is the number one, the, the influence of pro wrestling that the pro wrestling had in that marketplace, thanks to the punks and Mr. Punk's promotion. Uh, I think it's coincidence, Conrad. I don't know if there's anything in the water. Uh, you know, I think that it was just coincidence and, uh, but the funks being established in that marketplace <coughs> and being so charismatic, uh, it grab athletes, gra- alpha male, like athletes gravitated to the funks. They had charisma. They had a track record. They were famous and very famous in that market. So it was, uh, it was interesting to see how that all continued to evolve and it, it evolved so well. Some of the biggest stars in the history of pro wrestling came out of this university. It's, uh, it's remarkable to see those old school photos. If you haven't before check us out on YouTube, grilling Jr on youtube.com. I've never seen that collection of photos all together like that from left to right. You see Terry funk and Dory funk and bruiser Brody and Tino, uh, Tito Santana and Stan Hansen. Uh, and then you got, uh, I mean the whole second row on the bottom, right. There's Tully Blanchard. There's Manny Fernandez. There's Bobby Duncan. Uh, there's uh, Kelly Kaniski, dusty Rhodes wearing a baseball hat. This is, uh, this is fun stuff. Hopefully you're checking this out over on YouTube. Let's, um, let's talk about what happens with Teddy when it gets to wrestling, he's going to start training at the age of 20, learning from two of the very best that ever did it. Terry funk yep. and Dory funk jr. You see a very early photo of Ted DiBiase in his wrestling training and looks like his son, doesn't he? He does his, old, his oldest son. And he have amazing resemblance. Uh, and, and as you can tell, Teddy wasn't a body guy. No, he was a wrestler. He was an athlete. Similar to your early career path, Jim, uh, Ted starts as a referee, uh, but he's starting in Amarillo in June of 74. And it's amazing when you think about the guys who started around that time, um, 1974, I mean, it's, it's guys like Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat and Ted DiBiase, a whole new crop of stars. Yours truly. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't a star, but that's when I started (laughs) 74 was just a unique year. A lot of guys were, uh, finding their way into this crazy business. Ted goes to uh, mid South in 1975 and starts working for bill Watts and Leroy McGurk uh, for about a year. And I think based on the timing, that's probably when you get to meet Ted, do I have that right? Yeah, exactly. I've met Teddy in 74. Uh, I had just gotten in the business and we, we were very close to the same age. I think Teddy's two years younger than me. So we're, we were from the same generation. Yes. And, uh, both of us starting our little journeys of our, what we believe to be the, the path we needed to be on. What was your first uh, impression of Teddy when you met him? Oh uh, yeah. Great size. Cause he's six, three, I think, uh, size was one thing <clears throat> I think more than anything is intellect. He got it. And, uh, he was a good student of the game. So, uh, I think his intellect was something really special. He, he just gravitated to the, the intricacies and the nuances of the pro wrestling business about as seamlessly and smoothly as anyone I can recall. I think his, uh, first match is in mid South or in mid South is actually a TV match against Danny Hodge. 
<laughs> now, some of our younger listeners might not be super familiar with Danny Hodge. Thankfully you are, but my goodness, your first match in the territory is a TV match against a guy who could anytime he wants to crush every bone in your body, just with any hand he had free. Uh, yeah. Talk to us about Danny Hodge. It was pretty intimidating for Teddy to have to get in the ring with a guy that was known as, you know, superhuman. And Hodge was superhuman. I mean, it's just, I know I'm a big mark for him and he was my boyhood hero <clears throat> because <clears throat> pardon me, he was on TV every week in a baby face role on top. So that influenced a young Jr. without question. Uh, but, uh, Hodge's reputation of being uh, a badass uh, preceded him. Uh, as I've said this many times, the talents are just lucky that Hodge is such a sweetheart of a guy. If he had been a bully type personality, uh, he could have been very hard to deal with because you could beat him. Uh, he was, uh, he was just, there's nobody like him. And it's, I know it's, it's a big statement to say, but you know, here's a guy that goes to a D one division one college, uh, university of Oklahoma and wrestled, uh, and he, uh, he was there on the varsity for three years. They didn't have freshmen then eligible, or he'd have been a, a freshman all American. But he never lost. Right. He he uh, Conrad he had, I don't know how many seasons he had that he didn't lose a point, meaning no one ever escaped. Uh, so he was a special special breed of cat, and uh, nobody was ever like Danny Hodge. He had that strength that you know I seen him tear phone books and break pliers. I seen him with my own eyes, uh, where he just pop a pair of pliers, boom, uh, and you can imagine if he's going to do that to a pair of pliers what it could do to your wrist or your ankle or any other part of your anatomy that he wanted to grab hold of. So he was special. And, uh, again, thank God for the wrestling business that he was such a sweetheart of a person. Well, I, I, th I love talking about the way wrestling used to be. And, uh, Danny Hodge is certainly a big part of that, but so is Leroy McGurk. And you've got a pretty famous Leroy McGurk, Ted DiBiase story that I want to want us to talk about. But before we do. I want to talk about something that JR and I know a lot about, and that's saving money. You know, JR is uh, pretty old school. He likes to say things like my parents do. It's not how much you make, it's how much you save. Well, maybe it's one of your New Year's resolutions to start saving money and maybe get out of debt faster. Let me go ahead and recommend Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. And it monitors your spending. It even helps you lower your bills and it does it all in one place. Now I have to admit, I thought, man, I'm on top of this sort of thing. How much are they going to be able to save me? Well, here's what happened. I signed up. I checked out what was known at the time as true bill. Now it's called rocket money. And I saw I was subscribed to something called DAZN, and it was charging me 39 or $29 a month. Wow. Now, I guess I signed up for it a year and a half ago because I wanted to watch one fight and never turned it on again. So I spent like, I don't know, $400 on one fight accidentally. I just wasn't keeping up with it. That'll never happen again. Thanks to rocket money. Another thing I found out is that my wife and I both signed up for Paramount plus she was paying for it. And so was I, it even came off the same credit card or debit card rather. And we never knew we only used it once. We didn't, I mean, we watched TV together. So what, what are we doing? 
<laughs> we are saving money because we signed up for rocket money. Over 80% of people have subscriptions. They forgot about. Maybe it's a streaming service you bought that you just wanted one show on. And now that show was over. Maybe you fell for the old free trial scam and you never even used it. Rocket money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you. So you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. By the way, rocket money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. All you do is find the subscription you don't want and press the word cancel. Ta-da! Rocket Money does the rest for you. They'll cancel it for you. No more long hold times or customer service. No more tedious emailing back and forth. In fact, over 3 million people have used Rocket Money now, and they're saving up to $720 a year for the average person. I'm saving more than that. As I mentioned, I saved half of that just with one app, DAZN. Here's the thing. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash JR. That's rocketmoney.com slash JR. Rocketmoney.com slash JR. Hell of a deal. That's a, you know, just we waste so much money in our lives and you don't really realize it as Conrad was explaining. And this will get this will summarize it, get it all in one spot. Or you have the choice to go in there and hit that, that magic little button, cancel. And uh, when you're while you're canceling, you're saving money. You're not canceling money. You're canceling expenses and money you're not even knowing you're spending. So it's a hell of an idea. It's a great concept. Hope you'll try it, folks. It'll save you some cash and uh, and get you clean. Get you clear the board of that all those expenses that you just don't need to be paying. There it is. Rocketmoney.com forward slash jr. Hey guys, are you looking for a great father's day gift idea? I know I was, and I found it a couple of years ago with paint your life with paint your life. You get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mom, your dad, or both. You see paint your life transforms your photos into a one of a kind, beautiful hand painted portrait done by professional artists. You can upload a photo to create anything you can imagine, maybe in a special location or a favorite pet. There's lots of options. You pick the artist, the medium. And you even get to work with the artist to make sure it's perfect. You get started in less than five minutes and you can get the portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded guaranteed. And right now as a limited time offer, get 20% off. That's right. 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Text the word Ross to 87204. That's Ross to 87204. Text Ross to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. So Jim, we teased it before the break. I would love to hear from you about your now legendary Leroy McGurk, who was, uh, one of your first mentors in the wrestling business, as I understand yep. it. And, yep. uh, what would become one day the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Well, you know, uh, Teddy was, uh, just an average guy as far as dating and things like that. You know, he just gotten out of college and his first territory was there working for Leroy and cowboy. So, uh, he had a auspicious start, but along the way he met, uh, Leroy's lovely daughter, Mike, Michael Kathleen McGurk. And, uh, she still Mike. She did a lot of ring announcing for WWF back in the day, uh, and uh, really a wonderful lady still around. 
still beautiful, still lovely and, and nice. So Teddy, uh, being young and liking younger ladies, uh, he and Mike, uh, had a relationship. Now the only catch in that matter was Leroy had a house rule that his daughter could not, would not date wrestlers, mm. but that kind of fell by the wayside unbeknownst to Leroy, who by the way was blind. He had, he'd had no sight. And so, uh, one day, uh, we're going to go to Shreveport's Leroy and I, and his Cadillac, I'd never even ridden a Cadillac before. And I was here. I am driving the, the boss, uh, and, uh, Leroy, we got in the car, his Cadillac and headed from Tulsa to Shreveport on a little drive. It's about five hours. I think it was five or six around 300 miles, whatever. And then all of a sudden he, he has a satchel with him, which, you know, just, I figured the satchel was just for essentials. Uh, he had his, uh, coffee can in there. That's what he used as an ashtray. But he was, <laughs> it was a big old Folgers coffee, coffee can. And, uh, so he set that in the floor board of the car. And then he reached back into that satchel and pulled out the biggest God dang handgun I've ever seen. It was one of those dirty, hairy Clint Eastwood, you know, type guns. Yes. Uh, big old 38 special or something like something like that. Some exotic thing, <clears throat> but it was a badass gun. And so he took that gun out. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't know why. Uh, and he put it on the, uh, dashboard, the dash of the car. So the more he drank and he was drinking the entire time, uh, he, that he, he would, you know, if he put that gun there and the gun, then if I made a little turn in the road, the gun would slide across the loaded 38, let's say, uh, would slide across the dashboard. And it was disconcerting to say the least a loaded handgun of that magnitude, just running free. And, uh, so I said, Leroy, I, I was curious, obviously as any young lad would be, what do we, why do we have that gun out? Cause I thought there's something I needed to know. Right. And, uh, he said, well, when we get to Shreveport, you're going to help me kill the million dollar. You're gonna help me kill Ted DiBiase. I said, excuse me, sir. You're going to help me kill Ted DiBiase. So I'm thinking, well, this is going to be a good day. Uh, I can see myself young, bright little face, chubby kid, how popular I would be in prison. I'd probably have thousands of cigarette cases. It's just so terrible. I was worried about, I, I saw my life flash before me. I never been exposed to something like this. Right. So nonetheless, uh, we stop at a little along the way at this place. We always stopped at to eat. And I remember very vividly how I had to plan Leroy's meal. Everything was on a clock. So if he ordered fried chicken for lunch, it was at noon. And if he ordered, uh, mashed potatoes with it, it was at three. So everything had a designation had, 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 had a, uh, you know, so that's how, that's how I fed him. Right. And so while he was eating, I slipped away and went to the off to the payphone. We didn't have cell phones then. I went to the payphone and I called the office collect. And when you call collect from the road, you always use the name Gene Kaninsky. 
So it's a click call from Gene Kaninsky. We accept the charges. And, uh, so I finally got bill on the phone that he was, he was actually in Shreveport waiting on us. And, uh, I told him what was going on and Leroy was drinking. He's, he's going to, he says, he's, we're going to, we are going to kill Ted DiBiase and uh, we're going to do it in Shreveport when tonight, once we arrive, he's dead. So I, uh, told that to cowboy who left, laughed. He thought it was funny. I didn't. And so anyway, we get to Shreveport and, and Leroy says, here's what we're going to do. You're going to set me in front of the door. So when the door opens, it's right in front of me and, uh, I'm going to start shooting and I, uh, and you don't need to be there because you've already done your job. Your job was to get Ted DiBiase to my hotel. And so I don't remember how that went about. I think I saw Grizz, Grizzly Smith or somebody. And, uh, that's how that, that's how the word was going to get to Teddy. Uh, good, good, good. The good news is, is that Teddy never showed up. He was tipped off that there was a plot to kill him and, uh, Leroy and that boy, the kid, which is me, uh, were waiting on him. Like, yeah, wait a minute. I ain't fucking waiting on nobody. I drove the man, my boss to work. And along the way, I hear this plan of murder. And so anyway, cowboy comes over. And, uh, we put Leroy to bed so he could sleep it off. And we took command of his weapon. So there's never a shot fired, but the intentions were, and I uh, were to kill DiBiase, kill Teddy. And then, uh, it just, it, thank God it never occurred. It never, it never materialized. So that was my little story there about that deal. You know, a nice trip to Shreveport, you know, several miles and going to work all this other stuff and my, in my love, my, my dream job, making $125 a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that something? I don't, I don't know. Buck and a quarter all in, you know, there's no expenses on the road. Leroy would pay for things and give me his credit card or give me the cash. And I never cheated him at all. I, I he'd give me money. Said, is that a 20? It would be a hundred to say, I, I could easily have said, yes, that's a 20 and kept the change. Right. I never did because I always figured these guys are shady. It's like being in a, in a little, uh, not horribly violent mafia. So maybe they had a, had a plan to see, to, to test me. So the good news is don't cheat. Don't lie, especially to your bosses or anybody else. Just. You don't need to remember. I don't need to have to think about what I told somebody. That's right. If I, if I told them the truth and you're in, you're good. So anyway, that was where that story came from. And it's a pretty famous story in that respect. I use it in a one man shows several times. Always gets a good laugh, good, inter interesting. Uh, and if I'm drinking and, uh, I may be a little more colorful than here today on this, on this platform, but it was a hell of a, hell of a deal. I, I had. 300 miles to think about going to prison for murder. And it wasn't cool for a, you know, that was, I was 22 years old. Man, what a story. Uh, I, I don't know that we'll be able to top that. The, uh, the, the plot, well, to I'll, kill. Make, I'll make something up. I'll lie about something else. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thankfully, he survives, and then he starts yeah. wrestling for Bob Geigel's Central States promotion and Sam Mushnick's popular St. Louis based group. And success comes early for the young fan favorite, and he soon wins his first title, the Central States Heavyweight Championship. He won it from drill instructor Bob Slaughter, who is going to eventually become Sergeant Slaughter. That right. happens July 19th, 1977. He scores another central states title in January, the following year and follows that win by also capturing at the time, a pretty doggone prestigious Missouri heavyweight championship a month later. Yeah. That's how he made us. That's how he made a living Connie. Cause there just wasn't much money in the central states territory, right? That was the bad rap on that. On goggles territory was that pay was horrible. They just weren't drawing. They had nobody over. And the irony is that. To get talent in, you had to guarantee money. Right. Gaga was old school. He wasn't going to guarantee any money. Uh, so it was, it was a tough environment. You're damned if you do and damned if you don't. We want you to come in. You work on top. You'll get main events, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But still, there was no cash involved. There's no significant money involved. So that's kind of where where that was. You're damned if you do and trying to get new talent. Cause they're not coming in because they know that the money is limited. And so a lot of guys just kind of pass through central States as a way to learn as a stopover, uh, cause you can damn sure learn things in that territory. They're yes. like, they had good workers. They just didn't have any se- ticket selling stars to any large degree. They had some, no doubt. You know, Harley was there in and out cause he was a champ. Uh, but there were other guys that were good. The assassins worked there for a good while. And they were part of as good a tag team as you'll ever, you'll ever find. So it was uh, a tough, tough scenario to get talent in there. But when Teddy, when Sam Muchnick got eyes on Teddy and Sam, uh, was a fan of Ted's, uh, of Iron Mike's, uh, work. And so that's how that was Teddy's connection. And Mr. Muchnick gave Teddy an opportunity, uh, through based on that, knowing his father, uh, gave him a chance. And Teddy, ironically, uh, shouldn't be a big surprise, got over. And so when Teddy became the Missouri champion, and you're right, Conrad, that Missouri state championship was very, very valued. Yes. A lot of the top guys in the entire world uh, had held that title. And more often than not, it seemed like it was a title that was the next step from an NWA title opportunity. So uh, it, was, it, was, it was really really cool to see how that worked out. But the Missouri state title a regional title, a state title was so, uh, uh, important in Ted's career and, and in the career, of a lot of other guys, no doubt. I mean, when you think about all the guys who actually held that title, I mean, it does read like a who's who Harley race, David Von Erich, Rick Flair, Dick, the bruiser, Ken Patera, Jack Briscoe, Dick Murdoch, um, Bob Backlund, Terry Funk. Johnny Valentine. I mean, this is a who's who. And a lot of people, as you said, sort of let's make a WWF analogy. Cause a lot of our listeners grew up myself included in that golden age of the 1980s as a WWF fan, it used to be the, the trajectory would include maybe you're a tag champ. Then you're an intercontinental champ. Then you're the world champ. That's the, the lineage we would see for guys like Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart, et cetera, et cetera. You sort of worked your way up. Well, the Missouri title was kind of that for the old 10 pounds of gold. 
And it's once he is the Missouri champion that he starts to get national attention, national write-ups in the wrestling magazines. And all of a sudden people are talking about this handsome young baby face who's now in high demand around the country. Um, he's first going to pop in for the WWF for about a year in 1979, or I guess back then it's called the WWWF. Yeah. But I want to ask, like, since you're seeing him as a baby face and just to sort of give a refresher of sorts, good looking young baby faces were the thing. And if you were going to be a heel, you might be a grizzled older veteran sort of deal. You need somebody who's mean and nasty and all of that. We know that DiBiase is going to enjoy his greatest national success as a heel, right? But you right, you really got to see him cut his teeth and become a star as a babyface. Did you prefer him as a babyface or a heel? And could you have even imagined when he was having success as a babyface? Hey, this guy's going to be a, a prolific heel one day. Well, normally, Conrad, the when you see a guy that's really proficient as a babyface, and he or she are learning crowd psychology. Crowd psychology is, uh, something that is, uh, you, you, you have, you learn crowd psychology, you learn the ins and outs of the business, not just one phase of the business and being a baby face or a heel, you learn it all. Right. Uh, Cause you're not, you're not wrestling. You're not wrestling solo. You gotta, you gotta, a, a guy there dancing with you and he's gonna, he or she is going to bring something to the table, uh, that could, you can learn from. Uh, I just thought that Teddy was such a student of the game that any characterization of him would be successful because he knew, he knew what he, his strengths, he knew his weaknesses. He, he understood the do the ins and outs of, uh, of, of the character of a, either a heel or a baby face. Uh, so I never, I wasn't totally shocked, but if I had to pick one character, one side of the fence or the other for him to play on, I would have said a heel. He was a great wrestling heel. And, uh, he, ha- he also had, uh, that great voice. He, did, he didn't have a baby face voice. It, it stereotypically, you know, he was, had that big booming voice and laugh. So uh, he was, uh, I thought he was a great heel. He was a wrestling heel and wrestling heels. Traits are very simple. They think they're the best wrestler in the match. Yes until they start getting out wrestled by the baby face at which time they're very willing to cheat, to gain an unfair advantage, uh, uh, in their, in the, in the form of being a heel. And so that's, that was a psychology. You, you try to out wrestle the baby face, you brag about it, you laugh about it, you, whatever you about it, you feel good about yourself. And all of a sudden the baby face starts countering, starts out wrestling the heel. And now what, what does the heel do? The heel has got to cheat to regain an advantage and once get one step closer to winning the match. So, uh, but St. Mr. Mushnick got Teddy booked in New York. Uh, you know, Sam and, and, uh, I guess Vince senior were, were friends associates for sure. They've been around each other forever. Uh, you know, at one time, Mr. McMahon, the senior was a member of the national wrestling Alliance. Hmm. So, uh, they went to the little meetings together and communicated. They shared a champion when the champions, uh, Sam Mushnick booked the NWA champion. Sam was the booker of, the, of all that. He's the one that sent, you know, <clears throat> guys to your, much like Mr. McMahon sent, uh, Andre out. Right. 
uh, Sam would book the NWA champion to send him out, uh, and, uh, included Japan and around the world and so forth. So Mr. Mushik uh, wielded a lot of power, not only as president of the Alliance, but it's controlling that title belt. And, you know, it's different than having a hell of a week for your territory or not. And so Sam had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, credibility, a lot of power. And, and Teddy was one of his boys. So, and, and that was a, a hell of a lucky break for Ted, quite frankly. Well, I'll tell you this. I, uh, I can't imagine being thrown into this wrestling world. You know, your adopted father now is. He's no longer with you and your mom is struggling and having some stuff. And now you're on the road, man. It's gotta be stressful. And I want to talk about those stresses for a minute. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp online therapy. Here's the deal guys. Relationships take work. And a lot of us will drop anything to help someone out that we care about. We'll go out of our way to treat other people. Well, but let's think about this. How often do we give ourselves the same treatment? This month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to take care of the most important relationship you have, the one you have with yourself. Whether it's hitting the gym or making time for your haircut or even trying therapy, you are your greatest asset. So invest the time and effort into yourself like you do for other people. And I have to admit that I have prioritized work and finances and other things in my life and not really ever occasionally thought maybe I need to work on this or that. And that happened to me in 2006 when our relationship ended and man, I, uh, I didn't know how to handle that. It felt better for me to talk to someone who wasn't in my immediate circle. I didn't really want to talk to my friends or family. It was embarrassing to have this relationship end, and I didn't know how to sort it out in my head. I needed to learn some new coping skills. I needed to think about it from a new approach and in-person therapy really worked for me. But BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And that would have been a lot easier for me. As it was, I had to schedule it in my day and drive across town and fill out paperwork. And man, it's just, uh, it can be a little, I had anxiety just going in there. Well, this is much more affordable than what I was doing. You see, BetterHelp is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. So it could also be faster. So why not give it a try? See what over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And Grilling JR with Jim Ross listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash JR. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash JR. And Jim, you have, um, you've ran an organization and put together rosters and it's important to have something in your back pocket, like better help online therapy. Is it not? Oh yeah. Well, we have to, you can you gotta, we all have to man our woman up Yes. and not be so egocentric and proud. If that's a good term. It's a dumb way to do it, but it's a, don't be, don't be weak. Being weak is doing nothing about what you perceive to be an issue when the issue that you have can be solved. Yes. You know, one of the things I try to do as I've become older is I don't worry a lot about, uh, things I cannot control. Yes. And I used to be 
so obsessive in that respect that everybody else's problem became my problem because that's just how I approach things. And it, it added a lot of stress to my life. Uh, there's a lot of ways to cope, but you can't cope if you don't do a damn thing. And this is something you can do that I promise you that will help you. And uh, then you become a better human being and you feel better. Uh, so give it a shot, folks. You got, you got, it's going to help you. I promise it's going to help you. I learned a lot of new coping skills and I felt like a new man after talking to somebody. I think you will too. Take care of yourself, folks. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash JR. Save 10% off your first month. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Let's jump back into our call or our talk about, uh, Ted DiBiase. We mentioned he winds up in the worldwide wrestling federation. That's three W's for those of you counting in 1979. And he's billed as the first WWF North American heavyweight champion. He loses it to uh, Pat Patterson just before Pat Patterson becomes the first intercontinental champion, winning that very prestigious tournament down in Rio de Janeiro, Rio baby. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and from what I understand, Vince even made sure to try to encourage <laughs> Pat Patterson to say you want it in Rio de Janeiro, because of course, Pat being ESL, he really struggled with that word. So he would just say Rio for short, which is super fun. Uh, the, the good old days where you could just have phantom tournaments in wrestling. I don't think that would fly these days. No, no. Social media is going to put a qualbosh on that deal. Yeah. But it was funny. That story went around and it lasted forever. Hey, when I first got in the wrestling business early in the early time times for me, uh, I, I believe that story. I thought they had a tournament in Rio and it was a big deal and Patterson won it. Right. But, uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> your, your naivete is showing. Uh, so anyway, it was, uh, but that story has been around forever. And again, I, I, it was told so much. It's like the old expression. If you say something enough, yeah, it becomes true. Yes. Sad to say, but it's truth. That's the, that's the truth. So, uh, in any event, Teddy was being taken care of. That was because he had great skill. He was young wrestling fans. Love, love youth. They love, uh, all, they love things that are new and fresh surprises. If you get one and, uh, winning a title like that was a surprise and Teddy getting featured like he did was another new thing that, uh, the fans loved. So he felt he checked a lot of boxes, did the soon to be million dollar man. And, uh, I, I think a lot of that was just because he had such a great rapport with Sam Muchnick, who then in turn built help get build that rapport with, uh, Vince McMahon senior and, uh, off they went, you know, about that same time, Conrad, somebody will probably correct us on this. And that's fine. Uh, they were looking at getting younger in WWWF. Yes. That was about the time that Eddie Gilbert got a shot up there somewhere in that ballpark. 
So they were, they were in the process of trying to get younger. Uh, and uh, both those guys, ironically, were second generation guys. And that meant something in those days. Should it should mean more today, quite frankly. Uh, and maybe it does, maybe I'm being cynical, but so nonetheless, uh, uh, Teddy, Teddy had, Teddy was connected. So again, like being in that, that, uh, nonviolent mafia, uh, he had people in with already established made men, shall we say that, uh, were in his corner. So it was, it was, uh, he was, he came at the right place, the right time with the right benefactors. How about this for a fun little bit of trivia? His last match in the WWF was losing to Hulk Hogan in Hulk Hogan's Madison Square Garden debut appearance, December 17th, 1979. Of course, we know a handful of years later, these guys are going to be working all over the place together. Once Ted leaves the WWF, he goes back to Mid South. And uh, I don't want to say, excuse me, I want to say that here's how you can judge how much credibility, uh, and the plans were for, for Ted DiBiase because Hogan was the anointed guy. Yes. Hogan was going to come in and be the, the greatest and, and arguably he was, uh, so for you to have book a heel against Hogan or a book him again, whatever the role may be, uh, was, uh, was pretty prestigious. So in other words, the company had great faith that, uh, Teddy would do everything he needed to do to get Hulk over and shine. And because they had that respect and the abilities of Ted DiBiase. So even there, that, that young, uh, being booked in that way with Hogan's MSG debut was uh, pretty, pretty significant. It is. And we know they're going to become much bigger stars down the road, but first Teddy's going to go, as you would say, learn a new hold. He's going to start bouncing between Bill Watts, St. Louis down to Georgia championship wrestling, and even do several tours for all Japan. Um, how important do you think? And of course we don't see this as often these days because the territory system doesn't really exist. I mean, there are certain independents that, you know, have a, a, a certain fanfare fanfare and, and, and following, but it's not quite the same. Georgia, you're getting to be on TBS. Of course, you're making a lot of towns and working in front of the same folks, uh, for Bill Watts territory. St. Louis has its own cachet because of the NWA history and legacy, but then all Japan, man, a lot of wrestlers, especially in the eighties, their goal was to get to Japan because it usually meant bigger crowds, but more importantly, bigger paydays, more money. Uh, this was important to the evolution of him as an in-ring performer to be able to make his name and cut his teeth in mid South and central States and St. Louis and New York and all Japan. We don't see that anymore. How critical do you think that was for Teddy's success? Oh, it was everything, everything. Uh, the other thing about Japan in that era, Conrad was that it was before the days of gear, uh, territory guaranteeing monies. So when you went to Japan, you knew exactly what you were going to make. And there was never any issues. I'd never heard of an issue from a Japanese office, specifically all Japan or new Japan on a payroll. They, they made a deal before you got there. Here's what you're going to earn when you leave. Here's what you're going to get. And it was guaranteed. And that was something that they, they wanted in the territories in the States, but they didn't have the option to, uh, 
to, to make that happen. Uh, but the, the key thing I think Conrad is DiBiase got to wrestle the best talents in the world in his formative years. And I think that as much as anything, uh, helped his, his, uh, his uh, success. He just, you know, he, when he, when he, the Japanese people, they loved him. Yeah. Uh, and he did, he did, he did, he got over so big in Japan, especially in tag matches. You know, he was a tag team partner of, uh, of, uh, Stan Hansen. Yep. There's that West Texas thing coming back full circle. And so there, and other guys, but he wrestled the top guys in top programs again, taken under the wing of Stan Hansen. Hansen was one of the biggest stars in the entire country uh, at that time. So, uh, you know, big money, great, great opponents, straightforward pro wrestling. It's pretty cool. So Teddy learned so much in those environments. And then he'd go to Georgia, as you mentioned, and he would, he, he would be, work with top guys. So all that top guy experience was, uh, was crucial to the success of Ted DiBiase. Well said he's, um, he's going to be wrestling everybody. You mentioned top guys. Well, how about Ric Flair? How about Paul Orndorff? How about Dick Murdoch? How about the free birds? As you mentioned him and Stan Hansen, a regular team over in Japan. And, um, he's considered one of the, he's starting to become one of the best wrestlers in the world. And it's even in the observer where Dave Meltzer writes this, if Ric Flair hadn't existed. He'd have almost surely gotten it talking about Ted DiBiase becoming the NWA champion in 81. When it was time for Harley race to lose it, the plan was for dusty Rhodes to get a short run followed by rotating with flair and DiBiase with the idea of recreating funk jr. And Briscoe, but flair ended up doing so well as champion and the politics of the NWA changed. With the people who may have supported DiBiase, meaning Sam Mushnick and the Funks, no longer wielding the power, and Jim Crockett and Jim Barnett, both strong flair supporters, being major influences. Plus, for Fritz von Erich, when it came to what he was doing with his sons as challengers, flair was clearly a better fit than DiBiase would have been. This is one of the most talked about subjects uh, among wrestling fans. Who's the best wrestler to never be world champion? And Ted DiBiase comes up time and time again in that conversation. But I think Dave does a great job sort of laying out what the politics of that was in that era. Could you have seen Ted DiBiase as the NWA champion? Had Flair not existed, would he have been the logical choice? Well, even with Flair existing, uh, yeah, he was, he was a great option. And if you're an NWA guy and you're a fan of that title, uh, you, you can't be mad at the fact that Ted DiBiase may be that guy at some point in time. I, I certainly not, uh, denigrating nature's run. So right. That's silly. Uh, nothing to denigrate, but when your guy needs a time, some time off and heal some injuries or, uh, repair some marriages or whatever the hell it may be, it could be a lot of things for, for all of us. Then, uh, you know, that wouldn't have been a bad stand in. Then you'd have seen how good Teddy was going to be. And with all the stuff that he'd learned throughout the country, he already had a big uh, track record in Japan. So the NWA champion in Japan was a big deal. So he already crossed that hurdle. So I think he would have done great Conrad. He, and it'd been a good relief for Rick to be able to step away from for a little while and recharge his batteries. 
uh, without, you know, a huge drop down in, in, uh, in, in, uh, performance levels. Teddy was going to be different than Nate's, not as much charisma, not as much sizzle, but he still would deliver adequate steak yes. and, and, and would be, uh, and reliable. Again, he, he had godfathers he had to answer to McMahon, Muchnick Watts. So, uh, Teddy was smart about surrounding who he surrounded himself with. And it, and those guys then took a personal, made a personal investment in Ted and all of a sudden, uh, you know, he's getting, he's getting help from a, a higher source, shall we say in wrestling. Now, one of the things that everybody talks about when they talk about the NWA champion is the incredible touring schedule and just how grueling that could be. Uh, famously, Jack Briscoe decided he wanted to drop the belt as soon as possible. He was tired of living out of suitcases, waking up in hotels and not really being sure where he was. And supposedly was so anxious to get rid of this way of life that once he relieves himself of the NWA title. He takes his watch and throws it in the water there in Tampa off a bridge. Like, I don't need this anymore. I have nowhere to be. I'm going to do what I want to do. That travel was just a grind. Do you think Ted DiBiase being a, a young, good looking guy, he'd have loved that. Would he not? I would think, yeah, I would, at least for a while. Yeah. You know, it's, it got, you know, you gotta be your book. If, if you're booked properly, uh, in the eyes of some. You will work every day. There's, you know, Saturday nights, Sundays, uh, that some of those towns in, uh, at midweek had regular nights. Tulsa was on t- Monday. You know, I don't know what night Tampa ran, uh, but they all had their night. So it was easy to book them, book your ta- your champion. And then, uh, I, it was, a I- interesting environment to say the least, to say the least. And, uh, but I think Teddy would have made a good end uh, maybe great NWA champion, but he certainly had the skill set and the integrity. He was reliable. He could work baby face or heel, uh, young. So, uh, fresh. So I think he, I, I don't see any reason now. Would he have been as good as flair? That's almost, that's impossible to say. Probably not. Right. Cause who was, and that's not a knock on Teddy. But, uh, I think, I think that, uh, I think he had done, done a hell of a job in that regard. I think he did a great job, uh, with the character that he was and he's going to become, but it is fun to think about him being the touring NWA champion. And, uh, Hey, maybe you're thinking in this new year, you want to get out and start touring a little bit, hit the open road with our friends at camper max. If one of your new year's resolutions is to travel more, maybe another is to spend more time with family. What a great way to get the family together, make some new memories out on the open road with our friends at camper max. That's CamperMax.com, C A M P E R M A X X.com. There's two X's in CamperMax.com. They're specializing in max discounted pricing on travel trailers and fifth wheel RVs. Here's what's cool about camper max. They'll deliver anywhere in the lower 48. That's right. You can go ahead and select what you want to make these new memories in from your office, your cell phone, or even your couch. It's at campermax.com. Why not click or call and find out how easy it is to start enjoying the RVing lifestyle. Well, how easy is it? Well, the camper max discount will fit any budget. 
offering easy financing with extended terms. It really is just too easy. Visit campermax.com or give them a call at 256-320-7033. And be sure to let them know that Conrad sent you. I've been personal friends with Rod Wagner and his family for a long, long time. And if you've heard of my crew showing up at a convention or a pay-per-view in an RV, it's because my man Rod hooked it up and he'd be glad to hook you up. Just let them know that I sent you campermax.com. You're going to get that friend of a friend deal. And if you're looking to purchase a motorhome, hang in there. My buddy Rod is working on that now. Campermax.com. So listen, let's talk about the next new wrinkle. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about Ernie Ladd, the big cat here on the program before, but in 1982, he's the booker for Mid-South. Right. And he asked Ted DiBiase for a favor. Since Ted has basically been bouncing all around the country, working in St. Louis and Georgia and even all Japan. Hey, Teddy, the old cow, the, uh, the old big cat says, could you keep an eye out for who could be a new hot heel that we could use here in mid South? Teddy agrees and comes to lad a few days later and says, Hey, I figured it out. Here's your next big heel. It's me. And the big, You're looking ca- at him. the big so that's cat, how, that's how that went. He told Ernie, you're looking at him. Ernie almost, uh, uh, did number two. He hadn't thought of it. And Teddy was so established as a baby face. There you go. It's just an automatic transition as a heel. You just, you just have, you just have a different agenda. That's well explained. And, uh, so they, they felt like they had, they had a great story. That's one of the, probably one of the best TV angles I've ever been a part of was the flair. Bibiase, Murdoch, you know, scenario that had other movable parts, but it was just uh, really good planning, and it uh, was a, it was dramatic. It was you know heavy juice, but at that time the juice wasn't just gratuitous. Uh, it was it was needed yeah. in that extreme environment, and I just uh, I love this angle. I it was like I said just. I don't think I've ever done anything as much fun in a territory as that angle with uh, those guys that Watts uh, put together, Watts and Ernie. I think most of our listeners are familiar or first became familiar with Ted DiBiase is probably as a heel, but imagine, I mean, at this point, DiBiase had only ever been a baby face. So it would be akin to a sting or a Ricky Morton or a Ricky, the dragon steamboat saying, Hey, I want to, I want to be a heel. Right. What? No, you've never been a heel. You are a baby face, but DiBiase, boy, that guy can sell. He convinced Ernie Ladd to give it a go. And this began a, uh, began a new and exciting chapter of Ted DiBiase's career. And as you mentioned, one of the most memorable moments in mid South history is when he turned heel against the junkyard dog and even captures the North American heavyweight title from JYD in June of 82. And there's a stipulation that DiBiase would leave the territory if he lost. It's a babyface versus babyface match. And just to remind everybody, JYD is the top babyface in the entire territory. Maybe in the entire country. Yes. Seriously, uh without I know I'm biased because I worked there and and all that. Uh but you look at it for, for where JYD was positioned and where he was accepted uh was territory that a black babyface had never traveled. And he uh more than carried his share of the water, as the saying goes. Uh, but dog, dog was the dog was the dog, 
and there was nobody like him. And so Cowboy and Ernie made the decision, uh, if you're going to turn DiBiase heel, you turn him against the top guy in the territory. You make it mean something. And, uh, boy, they certainly made it mean something. That was a white hot angle. DiBiase, I've never seen a heel that had, I mean, it was dangerous heat. It was just people being silly and stupid, bringing guns to the shows and, and slashing tires and doing all kinds of bullshit. But that's because they love the dog as they should a baby face. And all, and Teddy became the dog's most untrusted, hurtful, violent, uh, adversary that, that JY had ever had. It's super fun to think about, you know, how this was pulled off. JYD gets a, a near fall with a power slam. DiBiase goes for the figure four dog kicks him over the top, which was not disqualification here in this no DQ match. And JYD goes out to check on him, helps him back inside the ring. But that's when DiBiase reaches in his tights, loads up his glove, nails the dog who sells it like death and DiBiase pins him to win the title. And the crowd just sort of gasps and sits there in almost disgusted silence of what they had just witnessed because nobody ever imagined that after JYD was helping DiBiase two baby faces like this, that he would dare turn, but he did. Another hot angle that DiBiase has in Mid-South is with our old pal Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Uh, and at one point, they were the closest to friends, part of the Rat Pack faction. And in 1983, all that changed. DiBiase made a deal to take on General Skandar Akbar as his manager. Uh, and as the big cheese of the Rat Pack, Duggan had committed some pretty diabolical deeds. But joining forces with the anti-American Akbar crossed the line by insulting Duggan's renowned patriotism. And DiBiase insisted that his dealings with Akbar would not affect his relationship with Duggan. And then of course, at Akbar's behest, Duggan sells out, uh, DiBiase sells out Duggan at the very first opportunity. And this leads to one of the most violent and exciting feuds of 1983. This is uh, mid south, maybe at its best in this era, eighty two, eighty three, is it not? Oh yeah, it was. So we had look at the talent. So my God, Watson assembled an all star team. Yes, and that's what over the years motivated me to get quality athletic depth on in, in that uh, dressing room. Uh, I just I saw what it could do if you had a, you know, you want you want some depth. Uh, there there are NFL teams that wish they had more depth at quarterback. And some of them are falling by the wayside because they don't. Uh, so same deal. More the more quality talents you have in your locker room, uh, the better off you are. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I did. We talk about the angle with Murdoch and and Flair. Are we gonna talk about that? Sure, go ahead. Well, I mean that was the one that I thought was the best thing I'd ever seen in on in a little territory TV one hour TV show. You know, Murdoch was everybody it was all about the championship and the champion was Ric Flair. Right. And, and irony, the irony of that story is, is that cowboy was never a member of the NWA. Now Leroy was back in the early days and watch would accompany him to the, uh, Alliance meetings in Vegas. Uh, so that's where they would select the champion and talk about other business and other problems and things of that nature. Uh, you know, nobody gave up a lot because they're all greedy and, and 
nobody, nobody wanted to give the other any kind of advantage. Uh, but I, I think, uh, I think that the, the, the Diviasi, uh, uh, group, uh, everything that he touched was really working and he just got over as a, as a son of a gun, uh, amazingly well. Uh, and, but he had this angle with flair. A lot of fans will probably remember if you don't go back and find it on YouTube or something, or it may be in the someplace else. Hell, I don't know. I'm not that up on that stuff, but it's uh, it, it, it exists. The angle exists. I, I, I wholeheartedly encourage you to watch it because it had different layers and it had a way to feature multiple talents on a fairly even plane, uh, which is very hard to do. And these guys are also unselfish. They knew that if this thing clicked, which they all believed that it would Cowboys booking it with earning to the greatest minds ever in territory wrestling ever. And so let's see, see how it works out. So that's uh, where, where I was in that deal. It was just, it was some of the most compelling television. It was coarse. It was, it was gruesome at times. It was real, believable. The story had no holes. It was the story was basically based, you know, cowboy was good about booking things. And most good bookers are something that comes out of the seven deadly sins. And that could include jealousy. And this angle was, I think primarily built on jealousy and everybody can relate to jealousy. And some, to some extreme or another. Sure. So it was a tough, it was an interesting scenario that was real in theory. And, uh, the jealousy was the, the culprit. Boy, that, uh, the blood in that match you're talking about with, with flair. I mean, they were known oh. for bloodbaths in this era and, yep. uh, it's something to go out of your way to see. I actually just retweeted a clip from that match. That a boy. Um, Mid South, well remembered for the cowboy stories where he would come back in the ring, but Duggan and DiBiase is is one of the biggest pieces of business you guys did, and I think the feud comes to a shocking end in June of '83 when Hacksaw defeats Ted DiBiase in a loser leaves Mid South match, and Ted is leaving a promotion here that he had pretty much dominated for the last few years. And in the fall of 84, he comes back to mid South in a pretty shocking manner. Uh, he's going to assault Duggan in the parking lot of the Irish McNeil boys club before Duggan's, uh, football helmet match against Dr. Death, Steve Williams. And what do you know? We're back at it. And the feud is going to build for months culminating in famous, uh, gimmick matches, a loser leaves town, a tuxedo. A coal miner's glove on a pole, a steel cage match, all rolled into one. And Duggan comes out on top in every town they ran. This is sort of gimmick overload. And we've seen bookers at times be criticized for relying on gimmicks. We're sort of throwing it all into one here, but people loved it. What did you think of this execution of what if we just did them all at once? Uh, I wasn't really crazy about it. Uh, all at once. To me was, uh, it was overpackaged. Yeah. Uh, I think you could have done away with some of those stipulations and either work to them later on uh, or not, but to have so many things in, uh, included in this 
in this, so many stipulations included in this match, I thought was a little bit of an overkill, but, uh, the bottom line is, is there an ass every 18 inches, there you which, go. Is the width, which is the width of a chair. And more often than not, there was those guys sort of it, it, just the violence of it, the gruesomeness of it, the physicality of it, the fact that both guys are really over both guys were respected. Both guys were looked at as tough guys. And, uh, so I, I, I love the marriage of DiBiase and, and, uh, and Duggan. I, I did. They had great chemistry. They liked each other. They traveled together. They teamed together. They, you know, they were just young in the business, bright eyed and bushy tailed. So I, uh, I, I, I liked that marriage. I just thought that, that one thing might be too much. And, and how I told cowboy that story was that, you know, I'm doing the, uh, a lot of those, uh, the breaks in the, in the show where you're hawking a live event, local interviews, local promos. Yeah. Yeah. All that. I did everything in that respect. Uh, cause that was my job, man. Right. Uh, so, uh, I would just go along and do these promos and I'm having trouble because there's so much verbiage that goes into this one match and it was hard to sell. Right. And so that's, that was what I based my argument on, which did fall upon deaf ears. Thanks for coming kid. Hold my beer uh, type deal. Right. So it never, it, they, he didn't relent. He's where he's going with it. So, and that's the, the way of a lot of bookers. They're hell bent on getting their idea over and, and that thing. And this may have been a situation. I wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't the case where Ernie had one theory on that stipulation argument and cowboy had another. And of course, guess who won the big cowboy. So, uh, that's, that's also not a surprise and Ernie knew that. So I thought it might be a little bit overload Connie, but did it, did it move the needle in that respect on my liking it or not? No, not a bit. Well, we know that eventually DiBiase is going to leave mid South and uh, look for greener pastures. He winds up finding him in the WWF, but it's reported at the time that Ted was actually pretty deep in negotiations with Jim Crockett promotions. Uh, this comes after Crockett had purchased the UWF territory. And the story is that he is recruited by Vince McMahon and goes up, takes the wife meets with the family. And as the, uh, the legend goes, when Vince leaves the bathroom or leaves the, uh, the meeting, Pat Patterson turns to him and says, if you come in, the gimmick that Vince has for you is the gimmick he would give himself, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't tell DiBiase what the gimmick was. And you just yeah. had to trust him. But when Patterson allegedly says, this is the gimmick that Vince would give himself. DiBiase thinks about it and decides, uh, damn the JCP idea. I need to go work for Vince. And you just said, that's true. You've heard that same story. Oh yeah. 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 You know, Vince has always wanted to be a wrestler. Hence the, all the stuff he did in the attitude era where he was taking bumps and taking stunners and, and, and bleeding and this, that, and the other, uh, he's always wanted to be a wrestler. Uh, I think his favorite guy was, uh, uh, one of the Grahams. Jerry Graham or one, one of those Grahams, because I remember Vince telling me that on a wild hair, he, he bleached his hair and to look like uh, the, one of the Grahams. Doc, and, Dr. Uh, Jerry Graham, who 
Dr. Jerry. Yeah. Would famously light a cigars with hundred dollar bills. Yeah. Yeah. A little eccentric. Yeah. But, but he, he impressed Vince. He had, you know, he had the cool car and had the cool hair, cool clothes, et cetera, et cetera. This overall cool to a guy, Vince is the age group. So then Vince decided to bleach his hair and that didn't go over real well with, the, with his dad because his dad never wanted Vince to be in the ring ever, ever, ever. And so he's trying to push him back away from that. And I think that's how one of the reasons that Vince got so involved in the commentary, he finally got a role. He got cast and, uh, in, in a, in a role that he was very involved in and, and good at quite frankly. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was a unique scenario to say the least, but that story of Vince was Vince himself was the role model for the million dollar man. And, uh, and then when you look at it, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. You know, it's just logical, narcissistic, rich, a guy that could back it up. That's what Vince wanted for himself. He couldn't do it. So he put that whole package together for Teddy and he did it real well. Of course, we know you're not in the WWF at the time. You're going to go join, uh, JCP as a part of this sale. You're a big part of that sale. And that's a story for another time, but I do want to ask about from your perspective, did you think Teddy was making a mistake? Did you, or were you selfishly wishing that Teddy would have come along and been a part of what you guys were going to do together now that JCP and Watts were going to be under one umbrella? I was hoping Teddy would, uh, get on this team, the team that uh, I was on, uh, because I enjoyed work. I knew what we had, right? There was no mystery about what kind of an asset that Ted DiBiase brought to the table. Uh, and you know, good matches every night. He could enhance talents that were not as good as him and raise their game. So, uh, and I liked him, you know, Teddy and I were friends. My God, we started out essentially together, uh, in our early twenties for Leroy and cowboy. That was funny. <laughs> the jobs. We don't even talk about it. Yeah. I was working for Leroy then. And, and then I went to work for cowboy. Yes. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's pro wrestling. So, uh. And I'm sure glad I got to live through it, man. That was a hell of a time, hell of a ride. And I look back on it. It's exceptional uh, for me. I got lucky. So uh, anyhow, uh, I, I yeah, Teddy. If Teddy, if Crockett could have got Teddy, we might have found out the the answer to that uh, topic we talked about earlier. World and Diviasi uh, being the NWA champion, I can't imagine him being in that territory. I mean, there were there were you, you always got to book ahead. And you know, you got your star who's flair and he, he's the champ. He's one injury away from everything being turned upside down. Much like Magnum TA's deal. Right. You know, Magnum would have been the NWA champion at some point in time, in my opinion. No, for sure. Uh, cause he got over and he was young and, and, uh, he could wrestle and he was reliable and, and he was a student of the game. So I, I, uh, I think that. I think that, uh, Teddy coming to Crockett would have been a huge get for, for Jimmy and the Crockett family. But I also understand Teddy's decision. There's here's the thing. If anybody that knows Vince or knows of Vince knows he's not going to create an, uh, a character in his image that he's going to allow to fail. 
not going to happen. So I think, and Teddy made the right decision. Teddy made a lot of money, uh, there in, uh, WWF. Oh yeah. For a long, for a long time, consistent money. And that's what all talents were looking for is consistent money. And he was getting it there. It's amazing to think about what that could have looked like. Of course, by 1987, when all this happens, the horsemen are well-established. Everybody knows about the horsemen, but we are looking for opponents and the big star that winds up sort of breaking out of the pack wasn't Dr. Death. It wound up being sting right. and sting is going to become a made man in 1988 and, and never looks back. But it is interesting to think, boy, if DiBiase is a part, a part of that crew, does he have a career that looks more like Ted DiBiase or more like sting? But what he was in store for is the push of a lifetime and a gimmick that resonates to this day. And people still right. remember so fondly. So it's hard to argue. He made the wrong choice. I don't think so. I, I think he made the right choice. Quite frankly, again, selfishly, I wish he'd have made the other choice, right? Cause we get a, a great guy in the locker room. we get a hell of a, a talent, a hell of a hand, no doubt. Uh, so the, my team that I'm on getting paid by, uh, got, would have got a big win, but Teddy made the right call. I mean, he made the right call. Like I said, the, the, if you know, Vince, as well as I, well, not many people know Vince as well as I do. Uh, but if you, if you understand the, the Mr. McMahon's personality, he's not going to allow failure in this, in this uh, million dollar man gimmick. He's just not going to let it happen. And, the, uh, and you can say that with confidence when you have a talent like DiBiase who has this much skill, he can carry the load. He can load the wagon. Don't worry about the mules type scenario. So, uh, I tell you, made the right call without a doubt to me. It's not even close. I would totally agree. And I'll tell you this. It's not even close. Who has the best crab cakes in the world. <laughs> and you don't have to be the million dollar man to enjoy Jimmy's famous seafood. How about this? Y'all you've heard us bragging about Jimmy's for years here on the program. Now they're a sponsor and we've negotiated a deal that I think is worth bragging about as somebody who has ordered Jimmy's for a long time. I can tell you. The tough part is when you have to pay for the shipping because you got fresh seafood. You don't want it sitting in some doggone warehouse or on a truck. You want it from them to you as fast as you can get it. But that gets expensive until now with our promo code. You can get free two day nationwide shipping on orders over 125 bucks. Let me repeat that. Jimmy's famous seafood is shipping food nationwide and you can get it delivered free with our promo code Jim Ross. What are you going to get? The best crab cakes in the world. The soups, the chowders, the oysters, the signature steaks, plus desserts and gluten-free items. Maybe this is something that you can give as a gift too. maybe bring the best crab cakes in the world and put it on somebody else's front porch. The famous gift box will make it happen. They got four of the world's best colossal Maryland crab cakes, two different crab soups, crab dips, seafood seasoning, and their signature bay sauce or the tailgate bundle just in time for these NFL playoffs. You got two pounds of wings, a full rack of ribs, a pint of crab dip, the crab cake mix, or create your own package. It's been a part of my life for a long, long time, and it will be yours too. I'm telling you, it will ruin you. You'll never order crab cakes anywhere else. When you go out to dinner, these folks do it right. It's a family owned business. I know the family. I love the family. You will too. They've been in business for more than four decades. They've been on every sort of food television show there is. If Bobby Flay or Guy Fieri are in it, so was Jimmy's famous seafood. 
I don't think it gets any better, man. You've been using Jimmy's famous seafood for a long time. The crab balls, the crab dip, the soups. What's your go-to Jim? Well, Kirk, the crab cakes, of course, uh, sets the top of the list, but, but the sleeper to me, and I'm a soup, uh, fanatic snoop. I'm a soup snob. Their soups are hard to explain how good they are. They might be considered orgasmic. Oh, they're just, they're just amazing. Absolutely. And one of the reasons that their, their stuff is so good. They've been doing it forever. Yes. You know, uh, the dad started it. Yep. Back in the day, it's a fa- it's truly family run. Yes. In the kitchen and the front of the house and the kitchen, you're going to see, you're going to see family when you go there. Yes. It's a, it's the coolest thing in the world, man. I, I just uh, love their food, love the family. I don't know the last time that I went to Baltimore that I didn't go to Jimmy's. Correct. It's almost like it's a part of your trip required. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I uh, love it. You'll love it too, folks. I promise you. Uh, it brings back great memories to me because Jan, that was one of Jan and my favorite meals. We didn't order a lot of food because she was such a great cook uh, to have shipped in. But, uh, you know, this the crab cakes, and I mentioned this on the show, her little trick was finishing them off in the oven under the broiler. Yes. For the last two or three minutes. And it gets that little charred effect on them. And golly, it's just heaven. So check them out, folks. It's the free shipping is that's a good good deal to this amazing product and i conrad and i look look at us do we look like we don't know how to eat we know we know brothers know how to eat yeah buddy so so anyway enjoy it give it a shot and see how much uh you'll, you'll see how much we're, we're right on the money this is not a guess this is a well i think you're gonna like it we know well, you're gonna love it yes Jimmy's famous seafood.com. Use that promo code Jim Ross. Uh, let's talk uh, a little bit more about the million dollar man here. You know, this gimmick itself has been discussed and debated forever and ever and ever, uh, as being one of the most prolific gimmicks in wrestling history. Now we say that with the benefit of hindsight, but I could see how, if you just saw it the first time, and maybe you had seen what Ted DiBiase was like as a heel and what Ted DiBiase was like in mid South. What'd you think of the presentation? First time you saw it of the million dollar man. Yes. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. That's Vince. Yes. That's Vince in inside Ted DiBiase's body and, and inside his mind. And then, then to make matters even better is that Teddy took ownership of that persona simply because he didn't create it for himself. He, he worked just as hard as diligent, uh, to make sure that he could capture some of the nuances and add to it, suggest things creatively. Again, you got to remember, uh, that Teddy has not ever has never not been around creative wrestling people, right? Uh, you know, all that, those names we mentioned, like a who's who, that's, uh, that's, that was Teddy's upbringing. And so he knew it was imperative for him to keep that character fresh and to come up with everybody else outside his, his orbit cannot be the only people contributing to the creative. And so he was really good about uh, that and adding to the persona uh, of, of the million dollar man. So, uh, I, I loved it, man. I thought it was just, it was just big money. 
it's one of those segments where it's, it's a non-wrestling segment on the wrestling show, but it, but it doesn't seem out of place. There you go. It, it fit and boy, to me, it fit from day one. Yeah, man. I loved it as a kid. I, I could look at it now and I could say as an adult, and again, you have to appreciate, you know, you create characters and moments and matches and all of that for the time and the audience you're in front of. Uh, so in 1987, 1988, this was, this was amazing to a, a young person like myself, but now I could say, all right, well, the dollar signs on the lapel, that's a little hokey. The dollar sign on the back. That's a little silly. The million dollar belt. That's a little silly, but as a kid, man, this was the coolest thing ever. And what made it even more real is Vince wanted DiBiase to quote unquote, live the gimmick. We've heard of guys like the undertaker who were masters at this. And they would always, maybe they're not wearing the undertaker costume to the gas station, but they are in all black. And it yep. looks as if, oh, wow, that's the, you know, that's the undertaker. You don't have to see him in the context of the WWE. Well, the million dollar man is going to fly first class everywhere. He's going to be driven around in limousines. He's going to be given wads of hundreds just to pass out. And this has to be something that other guys in the locker room are looking at and saying, Wait a minute. What the hell? I'm, <laughs> I, I'm a fighting chicken. I want to be that guy. Yeah. Um, but Ted went, he more than does his part, the laugh, the title, the style, the presentation, this is the push and, and gimmick of a lifetime. And I, I still think you could argue that this is one of the most famous gimmicks in wrestling history. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Cause it had tenure. It lasted, it had legs. It had legs. It was gimmicky. But also you got to remember Conrad regarding those uh, dollar signs and lapels and et cetera, uh, of the era that it was in. Yes. Uh, it wasn't as realistically portrayed as some angles are attempted to be today. Yes. And, um, so that, that's another thing we got to take consideration the time and the place, but yeah, it was, I don't, I don't know if I can think of off the top of my head, a better created gimmick than, uh, the uh, million dollar man. It's just, it's top of the list to me because it lasted and it lasted on top and it lasted through several incarnations of different bookings and matches. So it was, uh, it, it was just right place, right time. And it lasted. And which is to me, the deciding factor, it wasn't a one hit wonder. It wasn't catching lightning in a bottle. It was, it was real. It was everlasting and it had great legs. And I'm not so sure even when it ended, that it didn't have more legs. Yeah, correct. Frankly, I would agree. And what's, what's fascinating to think too, is just how different this character and presentation is to what we had seen in Ted DiBiase's previous work in mid South. And I'm sure there was a contingent of folks, uh, on the mid South side of things and, and, and Jim Crockett alumni who would look at the WWF presentation and say, oh, that's cartoony. We do the real wrestling. But when you see a gimmick like this, it sort of breaks through all of that. I mean, he becomes almost like a movie character and it's not just him. He has an ensemble cast. If you will, he gets a bodyguard and they name him Virgil. Of course, that's a rib on dusty roads, real name. Um, he has a, well, I don't know another way to describe it than to say a tremendous six year run with this gimmick as an in-ring wrestler, he's yeah. immediately pushed. He's saying he's going to buy the WWF title from Hulk Hogan. 
He's going to be heavily involved in the most watched wrestling match of all time. At that point, the main event in February of 88, it's on, it's on NBC. It's Hulk Hogan versus Andre. And it's the time we see what I still believe might be one of the best angles in wrestling history. Again, it feels like a movie, the twin referee angle. Yeah. The execution cool. of this was fantastic. Was it not? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I'd never seen anything like that before. Hell, I didn't even know the Heavners are twins. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I, I, I casually knew who the Heavners were, but I, I never put together that they were twins I, because I was not around when Dave refereed that much. Earl was the referee of the family in that respect. Uh, even though Dave was a good referee, uh, but Dave was working in, when I got to the WWF, Dave was, uh, working as an agent. And, uh, you know, making payoffs and draws and handling the box office and things of that nature. So, uh, but I, it was a fresh angle to me. I had never heard of dueling twin evil refs. Uh, and it was, it, I thought it was just really well planned out. I don't know whose idea that was Patterson or Vince I'm guessing, uh, but it was a good one. It's a fantastic idea. And, uh, just to add context, because I realized that a lot of the eighties just sort of get swished together when we think about it in hindsight, but 1987 is the high watermark for the WWF. Their brand was never bigger than on the heels of WrestleMania three. They became a giant touring opportunity. They went from, from having, uh, one touring show to two to three, they had a B and C crews out here. The WWF was in higher demand than ever before. And right in the middle of that is when we introduce the million dollar man character. And we ride that all the way to WrestleMania four. And along the way, set a record with Hulk and Andre on NBC and this twin referee. And DiBiase's in the middle of it every step of the way. And he's even involved in the main event of WrestleMania. Think about that. His first WrestleMania, and he's going on last with the Macho Man Randy Savage. They're going to crown a new world champion. Of course, Randy Savage gets the win. But now he's on top doing this house show run with Randy Savage for the next six months afterwards. And again, context is king. Hulk Hogan is away making a movie. So historically, no matter where you are on the card, you want to work with Hogan. That's how you're going to make your most money. But when it's time for Hogan to take a leave of absence, if you will, and go work on the movie, they relied heavily on Macho Man and this brand new character, the Million Dollar Man. DiBiase walked in to the job of a lifetime here and he just hit it out of the park. Did he not? Yeah. That's why there's no, no debate on, did you make the right decision going to Crockett or, yes. or coming to work for Vince? I mean, it's just, it's not even a good argument, quite frankly. Uh, he, he made the right call and, uh, and he knew that Vince had huge plans for the gimmick for the million dollar man gimmick. Cause it was Vince and another guy's body and he wasn't gonna let that fail. He just wasn't. And, and Teddy made sure it didn't fail. And let's also say this, the, the knock on the WWF had been for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know they're bigger stars, but we have better matches here in the NWA. They don't really wrestle. We really wrestle. And that was a knock against the showmanship of a Hulk Hogan or maybe a Bruno San Martino or whatever. But when it comes down to an actual main event world title match, Randy Savage and Ted DiBiase. That's something you could put up against any main event anywhere in the country. No, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Skill set wise. Absolutely. Yes. You know, you, you're, there's not a booker in the country. that wouldn't like to have those guys in their territory. 
and, and, and be able to use them. So, uh, yeah, it was, that's a no brainer. It's just, that was good booking that it maximized the minutes of the talents in the best way suited for their skill set. And there was very little limitations, if any, between, uh, Ted and uh, Randy, they just both are really, really good. Let me ask you this, in your opinion, uh, the, the WWF had obviously been a baby face territory for a long, long time. Going back to Bruno, that was the idea. You have this huge baby face hero, and then you just create for lack of a better word, a heel factory. Yeah. I and, like that by and, the way. Yeah. We, we tried that with, with Bob Backlund, maybe it didn't work as well. We have an interim champion in the iron Sheik, but then it works fantastic. I mean, better than ever before. Maybe Hogan is the ultimate example of a babyface champion in a heel factory, but the other show has a heel champion in Ric Flair and babyface is chasing. We know that they went with the macho man. Do you think it could have worked? Had they made another decision? And instead of stretching out the macho man and Hulk Hogan, they stretched out Hulk Hogan and Ted DiBiase. Ted could never buy the, t- the title off of Hulk Hogan. What if he does cheat somehow and wins the tournament? He becomes the champion at WrestleMania four. And then ultimately he drops it to Hogan at WrestleMania five. I love what we got, but I could have seen that work. Let's say yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. it would have worked. It would have worked uh, very well. Uh, Teddy was ready for that role or any other role. Uh, he was a main event guy, heel or baby face, no matter what color Jersey he was wearing. He's the, he's a main event guy. And, uh, so yeah, it would have worked that way. No, not to say the other way didn't work. It did. But uh, if you, you have another viable option and you do, or you did, uh, then, uh, why not give it a shot? It just, it just never came around for Ted in that respect. After, uh, he finishes up the feud. With Randy Savage, he's going to have some pretty high profile feuds with Jake, the snake Roberts, dusty Rhodes, and Virgil, including the big split here with Virgil and his run on top really isn't as long as it feels like he was once he's done with Savage and Hogan, he slides down the card a little bit, but still very memorable moments and feuds with these characters. And he even gets sensational Sherry as his manager for about a year here before he and IRS are put together as a tag team to form money Inc. And they become the WWF tag team champions almost immediately in February of 92. And in doing so they defeat the Legion of doom. And it ends up being a big role of course, because when 93 comes around and Hulk comes back, it's at WrestleMania where we'll see finally DiBiase against Hogan at a WrestleMania, but this time it'll be in a tag affair with IRS and Brutus beefcake tagging along. And of course it's your first show. Uh, this is your first time working with DiBiase since mid South. Was it good to reconnect with Teddy at WrestleMania nine? Oh yeah. Great friends are hard to come by in any walk of life. That's why you value them. You embrace them. Friendships are hard to, hard to create, uh, hard to be a part of. So Teddy and I have always been friends and, uh, but he, his game hadn't changed. He just got better. Still the same fundamentally sound, uh, fundamentals, psychology, same Ted. And so it was great to see him again. It was great to call his matches. It was, uh, just like old times. His uh, last WWF match winds up being that summer, SummerSlam 93. He loses to razor Ramon. And DiBiase is going to step away from the WWF for a while. And 
DiBiase, of course, has publicly talked about his struggles of being on the road at the time and the effect it was having on his personal life at home. And that's something a lot of guys have to reconcile. And it's a famous story that we've heard from a variety of different characters. Uh, was it a combination of, of injuries and living on the road that you think led him to making this decision? Uh, or was it more to it than that? I think, uh, you hit the nail on the head. It was uh, a combination of things. Uh, Teddy's body had taken a beating cause Teddy was a great bumper. He Teddy could probably feed a comeback for a baby face as good as anybody that I can recall. So I think it was a combination of things. His body starting to show, tap him on the shoulder that, Hey, we need to, we need to tweak a few things. Uh, I also think that it was the fact that he was, uh, he had two, two sons and, uh, you know, he wasn't seeing them much and he's a, you know, a good father. So I think he just got burned out, Connie. I think that's what it was. I think he got burned out of the lifestyle of the wrestlers. Uh, he had, uh, he had probably not lived the ideal parenting life like a lot of the boys. Uh, and, and he needed to, he needed to step away from that. He needed to change or, or lose his marriage and lose access to raising his two sons. And he didn't want to do that. Who would want to do that? So he took the only route he thought was available, uh, and that would be to step away for a while and recharge his batteries and, and, and reset the engine. You know, I want to talk about something that, uh, might make us a little uncomfortable. Uh, but before I do, I want to talk about something that you know, you and I both know is not uncomfortable at all. As a matter of fact, it's easy. I'm talking about athletic greens. My wife and I first started using AG one at the start of the pandemic. She had done her research and she wanted us to optimize our immune system. We're still using it to this day because we've enjoyed better gut health. And I like a supplement that actually tastes great. My wife even says she's got more energy. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG one, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens all to help you start your day. Right. It's a special blend of ingredients that'll help you support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, your aging, all of the things. It's also lifestyle friendly, whether you're trying to eat keto or paleo or vegan or dairy free or gluten free, it has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial, anything. And it still tastes good. It'll support better sleep quality and recovery, better mental clarity and alertness. Think of it as like your all in one nutritional insurance and Jim and I really believe in it a, because we've used it, but B because I got over 7,000 five-star reviews. Y'all come on right it's now. Amazing. It's time to reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health and to make it easy. Athletic greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash JR. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash JR to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Uh, Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Take care of your health. It's the most, it's the most valuable asset that we have our health period. Take it from me on that one. Listen, I want you to just try it. Just try it. See what you think. See how you feel. See how it tastes. You won't regret it. It's athleticgreens.com forward slash JR. 
So Jim, before the break, I, uh, I said, I want to talk about something that's a little uncomfortable. We don't normally talk about this sort of thing on the show, but Ted DiBiase has written books about it. He's talked about it in his documentary. He fell into the trappings on the road. Maybe he was dabbling in drugs. Maybe he was drinking too much, but he also met a few ladies along the way that he probably shouldn't have been spending time with. He was a womanizer. And he was a handsome, good looking fellow. And he had a lot of success in that regard, but that is really not the life he was supposed to be living back at home. He had the family and the wife and the kids. And ultimately he turns his life over to Jesus and becomes a born again, Christian. And it changed the course of his life forever. And oftentimes in wrestling guys have done this sort of thing where they, they realize, Hey man, I got to change. Something's got to give, uh, and, and they become born again. And that's met with a lot of skepticism in wrestling. All of my dealings with Mr. DiBiase would lead me to think, man, I'm a true believer. He's, uh, he's walking the walk and talking the talk. Is that the vibe you always got from Ted DiBiase? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I'm like everybody else. I was thinking, okay, when's the other shoe going to drop? Yes. Uh, when's Teddy going to go back to his philandering? You know, I don't know that Teddy was a, a huge, as far as drugs and alcohol, he, he would drink, but so would, but nothing abnormal within the confines of the business. Right. Uh, I never knew of him being a, a drug guy, as they say, but he loved the women and that was his downfall in my opinion. Uh, and that's what gave him the abrupt wake up call that, Hey, this shit's got to change. I'm going to lose everything I got, everything I've worked for and my, and, and the most important thing, my family, if I don't make some changes. So uh, it was, a uh, it's changes that were overdue perhaps, but certainly, uh, changes that were necessary and they were legitimate. He still walking the walk today. Yes. As you said, Conrad, you know, he's Teddy hasn't changed since he's, uh, found the, found the Lord. So I, uh, it was real. It was real because you're always waiting on that. Oh, there he is. Well, how's that religious thing working for you? You know, as he sits there with two, two ladies having a cocktail. No, he, it was never that way with him. He was, he was just, he was very devout and he still is 30 years later. It really is a great story. And I would encourage everyone to go check out his documentary, uh, go, go check out his book. Um, they're phenomenal stories and he's lived quite a life, but now that he's realized, Hey man, I might need to step away from this. He actually tries a lighter schedule with all Japan in the fall of 93. But he's back home in the WWF. He returns to the company at the 1994 Royal Rumble. He's going to be working here as a color commentator for that show alongside Vince McMahon. And he's going to dabble in commentary for a few times. Uh, I think it was, you, his, it was his forte. I produced a talent that night at that show. I think that uh, event was a pay per view in Providence. Uh, and I produced the announcers, which wasn't a lot to Vince. You know, I get a line here or something. I think he might like, <clears throat> but I helped Teddy a lot as best I could. He unfortunately didn't have the same aptitude for announcing as he did for wrestling. Right. And, uh, he wasn't a horrible, but he didn't, he wasn't the hit that everybody hoped he would be with those pipes that he's got and, uh, but, and his reputation and so forth and so on. 
So in, in any, any place he's, uh, his, his skill was wrestling, not announcing, but you know, he, that's, this goes through the progression of what you try, uh, you know, later on, we'll talk about him on the creative team. They kept looking for things for Teddy to do that he could contribute. So his respect within the office and those within the office, uh, was, uh, still very strong. Well, here's what we know. Uh, maybe he didn't have an equal in the ring and maybe he wasn't maybe cut out for commentary. We're going to try him as a manager and he does great. He's going to run the uh, million dollar corporation until 1996. So he's got four or two years here. Uh, he's going to start off with the likes of Nikolai Volkov and Bam Bam Bigelow. Then he's even going to bring in a fake undertaker for SummerSlam 94 to uh, headline against the real undertaker. He's a great talker. I thought he did. He added a lot to some guys who maybe didn't have that in their repertoire, so to speak. I don't know that I'll ever really associate him as being a manager. I'll still always remember him as being a wrestler and maybe that hindered him a little bit, but I thought he did a, a phenomenal job with some, some really impressive moments. I mean, I know it's hokey to us now to look back at it, but if you were a little kid undertaker versus undertaker, that was a pretty doggone cool. I like that. Yeah. Actually, I wasn't a little, I wasn't a little kid. I may have acted like a little kid, more. Often <laughs> but, uh, I liked that presentation. Yeah. I thought it, uh, was a creative idea. And again, you're always looking for one off opponents for talents of the repute and of the, of their plate, the lot in the wrestling life, uh, like taker, you're always looking for that next guy. Who's going to work with taker. You know, we see that at WrestleManias, uh, who's going to be the takers next victim. And or is somebody going to come in and upset, uh, this great streak, which should never have been broken by the way, in my opinion. Sure. Uh, this is my take, uh, it happened. Uh, and if you're going to do it, I guess Lesnar's the guy to do it with. Sure. I'm not, not, I'm not knocking him. It's just a matter of, I don't think it was necessary to be taker. That's just me. Uh, so anyway, continue well, on young man. Well, let's talk about, you know, how high profile the undertaker opportunity is. Of course, if he's going to wrestle a fake undertaker, well, that fake undertaker can't talk. We got to have somebody who can make it happen for the real undertaker. Cause it's a big time main event. Well, who better to do that talking and run that mouth than Ted DiBiase. So that's, that's your main event of SummerSlam. We'll fast forward your main event of the following WrestleMania. We need somebody to run that mouth at Lawrence Taylor, who better to be in Bam Bam's corner than the million dollar man. So he is, even though he's not in the ring. He's an integral part of the presentation, right. uh, but as with everything else, things change. He, uh, gets Tatanka, King Kong, Bundy, comma, Sid, the one, two, three kid. He's got a few iterations of the million dollar corporation, but there's one moment that maybe will live in infamy forever that you and he are both involved in. Sid is doing a backstage promo. It's live. <laughs> He doesn't recognize it's live on this in your house. And he asks you if he can start again and you have to remind him we're live, pal. Uh, <laughs> are you and DiBiase sort of making nonverbal communication at that moment? Like, look at us all the way from mid South to this, look at us. We were biting our tongue that, uh, about that line that Sid said, uh, because we got a great laugh. You can imagine that million dollar laugh, 
uh, echoing throughout. I think we're in San Antonio echo out through the, uh, stadium there at San Antonio. I think that was the night that, sh- that Sean and had a match with it. Well, that was an in your house that we were just talking about. It was probably well, on the way to that one. Well, but I think I, you're I'll thinking confuse. of the 97 rumble though, in San Antonio. Okay. Yeah, probably, probably. Hey, it's been a long time folks. Sure. Well, let, let's the road, re- the, the road has been hard on me. <laughs> we're not done yet. I want to remind everybody the undertaker uh, SummerSlam main event, the Bam Bam Bigelow, Lawrence Taylor main event at WrestleMania. And now he's got one more thing he wants to introduce to the world, the ringmaster. Of course, we know Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to become a big star, not as the ringmaster, but as Stone Cold Steve Austin. But he is a part of introducing him to the WWF audience and even a big part of uh, the evolution of the Stone Cold character because DiBiase is going to leave after the In Your House Beware of Dog show. This is the famous pay-per-view where we lose power and we have to do essentially a do-over. So we have a Sunday night pay-per-view and then a Tuesday night pay-per-view. And between those days, DiBiase gives notice. He's going to wind up going to work for WCW with a lighter schedule, a guaranteed contract for more money. Um, a lot of guys leave the WWF and Vince is uh, pretty frustrated with the way they left. And there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. What do you remember around the way DiBiase left? Did he leave the right way? I think he did. You know, he did sit walk out and show up at the mall in Minneapolis, uh, like Rick rude, like Lex uh, Luger, you mean, or Lex Luger. I mean, yeah. Or, or well, rude showed up there too. Yeah. Different show, but yeah, he definitely jumped. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I, the way those two guys jumped was not, uh, was not great. Right. It was, it should have been, it could have been handled so much easier and more professionally if the talents had chosen to do so, uh, but they didn't, uh, I don't know. Uh, Austin, Austin never liked that gimmick ever. Not one day that I can recall. Right. But he, some people are going to say, well, why did Steve do it? He didn't have to do it. He's stone cold. Well, he wasn't stone cold then. No, he was not. And, and, uh, he, he wanted to be booked. He needed minutes on television so that everybody could see what kind of talent that he was. Many of us already knew I declared Austin, a blue chipper and all that stuff before I declared the rock a blue chipper on television. Uh, so. It's for me, it was a no brainer, you know, but I'm Austin blind, uh, and, uh, that all worked out pretty good, but he didn't like the gimmick belt. Uh, Steve didn't, he didn't like the, he didn't think he needed a mouthpiece and he didn't. Can you imagine having to find somebody to talk for Austin? No. So anyhow, uh, uh, Steve was uncomfortable with that gimmick and I think Teddy sensed it. It wasn't Ted. Ted was a, a reason, but not the person, just the having a manager. He's going to talk for me. And he's, he's already talked for all these other guys. Does it not make me, it doesn't make me special, et cetera, et cetera. And Steve had all the right answers, but, uh, he wanted to be booked. And, and the, the great thing about the ringmaster and the only great thing I can think of was the fact that it got stone cold on television. Well, we know that, uh, Ted DiBiase is going to be on TV a little bit in 1996, and he's going to be a part of the NWO. 
until Eric Bischoff realizes, Hey, maybe I should have that job. So instead of DiBiase being the mouthpiece for the NWO, it became Eric Bischoff. So they put Ted with the Steiner brothers. And I don't know that that ever really fit. Uh, ultimately DiBiase becomes a Christian minister in 1999 and he's dedicated his life to that ever since. But somewhere along the way in 2004, he was offered a job in the WWE with creative. Uh, he, he actually winds up working there in 05 and 06. And he was quoted as saying, I said, you know, that's not really for me. I'm not Clint Eastwood. I'm not good on both sides of the camera. I'm good in front of it. And they wanted me to come back and at least try. So I did for about a year and a half, I guess. And it took them that long to figure out I was right. Uh, <laughs> what do you remember about Ted trying to work with the company behind the scenes? Frustrating. He was frustrated all the time. Just, uh, the slowness, the change of direction, unexpectedly going another way that you discussed in the meetings, uh, just frustration. He was out of, he was out of his element. He was used to controlling his world. And in that environment of being on creative and being one of several people contributing ideas, he wasn't in control of his destiny. Uh, he was just another cog in the puzzle that was very easily replaced as are all the writers, unfortunately. Ted eventually becomes a road agent. Uh, he's going to have various appearances on TV, including uh, Sherry in the hall of fame, some WrestleMania appearances. Uh, and of course he's going to introduce the world to his sons, Ted and Brett. Uh, I think a lot of people look back and think what could have been in May of 2008, Ted DiBiase jr. Is introduced to the audience for the very first time. Did you see a lot of Ted senior and Ted jr. Yeah, I liked Ted Jr. a lot. I thought he had a great body, athletic, had good uh, sensibilities as far as the nuances of wrestling. I thought that unless he stubbed his toe, got hurt, made some just bonehead decisions along the way, that he had a very bright future. He has a, a nice run for a few years. He's going to team with Cody Rhodes and be paired with Randy Orton. They're going to call that faction Legacy. And uh, he ultimately retires from wrestling in 2013. Uh, the other son, Brett wrestled for a few years, but never really made it outside of developmental. Uh, but Ted DiBiase winds up going rightfully so into the WWE hall of fame in Phoenix in 2010, both of his sons would induct him. Uh, the cauliflower alley club banquet that took place that year would see Ted be given the, uh, uh honored, uh, the same year you got the art Abrams award. Um, it's, it's, it's fascinating to take a look at this guy's career and his legacy and his history. And I grew up such a big fan and I am glad that he's had this new lease on life, but I feel like we should at least mention that there was some controversy a couple, a couple of years ago in Mississippi where some, uh, funds were allocated incorrectly. And I believe the lawsuit that, uh, Mississippi made against the DBOCs would include Brett was listed as receiving $824,000, Ted Jr. 2.8 million and Ted Sr. 1.9 million. I don't know the the outcome of all that. I hate to see that there was some sort of controversy where funds were misappropriated or there's a misunderstanding or whatever the circumstances are. I do know that it's uh the only black mark on Ted DiBiase that I can see uh in his entire career. Like you never hear anybody say anything negative 
about Ted DiBiase. And as we sort of talked about when he turned his life around and, and, and became a born again, Christian, it feels like it's just been one positive appearance after another, except for this controversy that to this day, I don't think is all the way sorted out. I think you're right. I don't, I'm not burst in it enough to speak on it other than it's unfortunate. Yes. I can't imagine Ted, uh, intentionally, uh, extorting, not extorting. I don't know if there were, I don't know if the word I'm looking for, but, but gaining money on unscrupulous terms, yes. this lifestyle and the way he looks at things. I, I, I don't know if he had all the information. I have, I have no idea. And I probably wouldn't be a very unbiased guy to talk about it because I have so much respect for Teddy then, now, and forever, as the old expression goes. So uh, it was a, it, that was a tough story, but I didn't follow it much because I didn't give it a lot of credence. Uh, and I, and ironically, we don't know much about it anymore today. No, we don't. And you know, I, it's one of those deals where because I don't know all the details, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about it. But I know if we don't, people are going to say, "Hey, why didn't you talk about?" So we can at least mention that, Hey, we don't know what we don't know, but as a rule of thumb, I think you and I both agree. We like to treat people how they treat us. And if you are a wrestling promoter and you're not sure, Hey, should I book Ted DiBiase? The answer is yes. Uh, He's phenomenal with fans and fans still remember him so fondly. And it feels like when people talk about the greatest wrestler to never, never be the world champion. They list guys like Jake, the snake Roberts and Scott hall and Ted DiBiase for me is always right at the top of the list. And I think that gimmick, that presentation of the million dollar man character in its own way was the WWF version of the nature boy. And you know, because Rick would come out on TV and brag about all the stuff he had. Well, Ted (laughs) DiBiase was able to do that and he created some just magical moments. And I know most of that stuff predates your involvement with the WWF. Um, but I, for one think that the Ted DiBiase story is an amazing one and I can't recommend his documentary or his book enough. Um, let's do some questions and then we'll wrap this one up. But before we do, I want to remind everybody that in my real life, I love helping people save money and there's no better time to start saving money than right now at SaveWithConrad.com. Here we are in Royal rumble season. Why not throw a couple of house payments over the top rope? That's right. We can make sure you don't have to make a payment in February or in March. You're done until April 1st and come April 1st. No joke here. You're going to have a cheaper monthly payment. We're routinely helping our grilling JR listeners say five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. But if you've got credit card debt, if you're in a 30 year loan, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much. And let me just explain something to you. The interest rates you have on your credit card right now, what is it? 18, 28%, whatever it is, you know, you can do better. The interest you pay on your credit card, not only is it sky high, but it's also not tax deductible. Whereas the interest on your mortgage, it's a cheaper rate and it is tax deductible. So if you could get a lower monthly payment, if you could get a better interest rate, if you could go ahead and skip your next two house payments and get a greater tax to that. What, what, what are we doing? Come on. It's the biggest no brainer in the history of the world, but here's what we're able to do. A lot of times, if you're say three years into a 30 year loan, you got 27 years left. What if I could show you how to get it down to 15 years with cheaper monthly payments? It sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you and paying your house off faster and living your life without a mortgage. Like Mr. Jim Ross does is the way to be the American dream is not to just 
give away 29% of your gross monthly income every month until you die. The American dream is to own your house free and clear, have that peace of mind, have something for yourself and your family. And I can help you make it happen at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Hey, and I want to mention we've got an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And if you want to check out our reviews, read them and weep. ConradReviews.com. That's where you'll find there's more than a thousand five star reviews. In fact, our average rating is 4.72 stars. And check out this most recent five star review we got. Jamie was very pleasant to work with and made the process really easy. Folks, you want to save some money and you want to make it really easy? Hurry to savewithconrad.com. Smart business, folks. Yes, sir. Smart business. The smartest thing I ever did, <clears throat> other than Mary and Jan, was uh, she and I had this plan to be debt free. Mm-hmm. And we succeeded. And uh, I'm not bragging about that. I'm actually, I guess I sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but there's nothing like the feeling of becoming debt free. Yes. Take the take the steps. There's steps you can take now to to lessen the gap, to lessen your your term of uh, of, in, of of in being in debt yes. to that degree. So uh, it's a great goal for every young couple. It's a great goal for young single guys. You know, get your ass out of debt, man, and watch your watch everything else start growing around you. It's like fertilizing your life. Without question. Well said. Save with Conrad.com. Keep more of your own money. A uh, wrestling fan on Twitter wants to know, do you think DiBiase's WWF character could have ever worked as a face? Don't get me wrong. He was one of the best heels of all time, but do you think he could have pulled that off? Oh, yes, he could have pulled it off. Would, would have been the best presentation of him? Probably not. Uh, but remember that we work in a fictional world. If the stories are believable enough, plausible enough, uh, just about anything that's good will work including DiBiase being a, the million dollar man being a baby face. Uh, here's another question from PB. He wants to know in 91, I was at a signing with Jr. Missy Hyatt, Polly dangerously Z man and Jason Hervey to promote super brawl one in the middle of the signing, Ted DiBiase showed up. He was there to say hi to friends. Was there ever any negotiation going on that you know of to get him over to WCW? Well, no, we, I think we all knew that we'd love to have him. Because of his, his, his greatness. Right. I don't think there are any ongoing, you know, it was almost like he was untouchable. Right. In the sense that he had such a great persona. He's getting a great push. And God damn it, Conrad, you know, those pushes are everything. <laughs> my push. And so he was in the midst of all the, the, of the greatest run of his life. So I don't know that we could have compared, you know, competed for the, with the money. Uh, but I don't know of any ongoing discussions whatsoever. He just, right. He was in the same place we were and he had friends and, you know, he and I have been around each other since the seventies. It was just one of those days. It was a nice day, a nice day at work. Cause you got to see Ted and, and you hadn't planned on it. Next week, we're going to be talking about one of the craziest opportunities for the WWF of all time. When the radicals came to work for the company. How it all went down from the purview of the head of talent relations, how he struck deals with Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn, and Dean Malenko. We'll be talking about that next week here on the program and next week here on the program, we're going to be watching our old pal hacksaw, Jim Duggan over at adfreeshows.com. I can't believe this is real, but as you're listening to this next Tuesday is the 35th anniversary of the very first Royal rumble. 
and adfreeshows.com is bringing you a really cool watch along event. We're going to celebrate the anniversary of that first Royal Rumble with the guy who won it. Join us over at adfreeshows.com live on Tuesday, January 24th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Another little piece of wrestling history we've unearthed is the book with David Crockett. From the mind of Dusty Rhodes, the genius that brought us Jim Crockett promotions through 1985, we've got Jim Crockett Jr.'s actual personal handwritten red books from the hand of J.J. Dillon. And this is all in J.J.'s handwriting, but it's Jim Jr.'s book. The gates, the towns, the matches, the revenue, the angles, a peek behind the curtain that's unprecedented in wrestling, and it's all happening at adfreeshows.com. What else is going on? Well, how about jrsbbq.com? Maybe my yeah. favorite part of the show, we get to brag about all the great stuff that's going on at jrsbbq.com. Not only the two types of hot sauce or the two types of barbecue sauce, but the chipotle ketchup, the main event mustard, the hot sauce, the beef jerky, but my favorite, the all-purpose seasoning. And by the way, when you join adfreeshows.com, not only do you get these shows early and ad-free, you get to be a part of our live studio audience. Our pal Josh says in the comments, JR, I love the hot sauce. My wife got me a bottle for Christmas. Everybody loves the hot sauce, Jim. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. We, we took a, over a year folks to work on this recipe and I sent them back and it just wasn't quite making it. And I knew I was getting past the pale or getting it promoted real strong for the holidays, but I wasn't going to put a product out that I thought was substandard. And JR's red ass hot sauce is certainly, uh, not substandard. It's a great hot sauce. It's a great compliment. I made, uh, earlier today, late that night to the gangland hideout of Elliot Ness, uh, I made scrambled eggs. Any idiot can make scrambled eggs. Yes. But when you add some red ass JR's hot sauce to your, to your eggs, as you're slowly turning them. Uh, you, you create a whole different animal. And so now I'm spoiled. I'm spoiled. The other thing is, it's just, a, it's just amazing. I see those great commercials on, uh, Frank's Frank's hot sauce. Yep. And you know, they, and, and it's good by the way, I got a ball in my refrigerator, but, uh, we're kind of along those lines. It adds heat and it adds flavor. And, uh, I think folks are going to enjoy trying it. So I hope you try it and see if you like it as much as uh, we do talking about it. So. And, and, you know, we, we ship every day. We, we package orders every day in Norman, Oklahoma and ship them out. So we don't set on them. We want to get them out, get the product in your hands. So, and we ship every day, as I mentioned, ad nauseum. Uh, so, uh, give us a shot. JRSBBQ.com. We never close and it costs nothing to look. JRSBBQ.com. And if you missed it. I can't recommend enough that you start checking out our podcast on YouTube. Most of us who are working from home these days, we're still rocking the two monitor setup, the second screen experience for seeing the, the visual accompaniments to what we're doing here really make it. I mean, just seeing those photos from West Texas state go out of your way, grilling Jr. on youtube.com. You want to be sure to hit the subscribe button and turn on that notifications bell. And keep in touch with us on social media. JR is at JR's BBQ on Twitter. He's at Jim Ross BBQ on Instagram. And our show handles are JR Grilling on Twitter and Instagram and Grilling JR on Facebook. 
But in the meantime, the easiest and best way to pro- support the show is get some swag. Go to grillingjrts.com and that's where you'll see the infamous Where's My Push, damn it, t-shirt. It's over at grillingjrts.com. I don't know what I expected with today's episode, Jim, but I had a blast talking about the million dollar man and talking about the good old days of mid South and maybe the most iconic WWF character of all the million dollar man. Yeah, me too, Connie. I, I enjoyed it. And I'm glad we got to relive some of those moments that are so positive in my mind. And, uh, it just shows that, you know, everybody's got to start somewhere. I don't know what Teddy was making working for McGurk, probably a couple hundred a week. If I was guessing. I know what I was making, uh, and it, the monies were not great, right? <clears throat> but we knew that we were, we were just embarking on a journey together, ironically, and that it uh, is going to work out the best for everybody if we just keep putting in the work, put in the work, and you find how wonderful things can be, and how wonderful life is, because you're in the world with me. <laughs> I don't know where that was going, but I love you for it. We're going to be back next week right here talking about the radicals. You never know to know, never know what to expect with Jim Ross, but uh, you can always expect a good show and a packed house. Appreciate everybody showing up for mad free shows today. Uh, whether it's Josh or Eddie or Mark or Keith or the usual crew, man. Thank you guys for turning up and turning out for us. And uh, we'll be back next week talking all things radicals right here on grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling. Mr. Jim Ross and ladies and gentlemen, don't forget. I must say go Jags. Can't believe this is real, but woo wings, your very own virtual restaurant concept is now open and fans can enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with their Uber eats or Postmates app. Woo wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa right here in Alabama. Many more locations coming soon as a virtual restaurant. Woo wings is looking to partner with existing restaurants in major Metro areas. Tell your favorite sports bar or local restaurant. You want woo wings in your town and to visit rickflairwings.com for more information on how to become a partner. But if you're in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Huntsville, or Tuscaloosa, hop on your Uber eats or Postmates app and look for woo wings and try the only chicken wings worthy hearing the name of the 16 time world heavyweight champion woo wings. Be sure to check out rickflairwings.com to become a partner. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.